Good evening. It's seven o'clock and time now for In Context with Patrick Boynes. Well, good evening. It's great to have you with us and welcome once again to In Context, the radio show where we take a look at scriptures. We'll always aim to look at things within their context. Um, you can find us uh, here on Internet Radio through the Truth FM website or the Truth.fm app. Look out for TruthFM.uk. All uh, by going to uh, radio.truth.fm colon 8000 slash UK, which really is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but we, um, yeah, we still have um, those technical boffins who are making, uh, working on things to make them much more simple, um, hopefully in the not too distant future. But again, if you are with us this evening, you must have found your way in somehow, so jolly good to have you here with us once more. Yeah, my name is Patrick Boynes. I am a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. He's my teacher. I'm learning to follow him throughout every moment of life's journey. You know, some days are easier than others. Some can be a real struggle. But the teachings of Jesus help us to navigate our way along life's journey, trying to live as God intended us to live. So here we are back on the internet wireless, sharing together some thoughts and insights into the words of God every Monday evening at seven o'clock. And we don't do this simply because, I don't know, it's the thing we do. We do this because as followers of Jesus, we want to learn of him and his ways. We want to know of the things that Jesus did. We want to be sure of the things we have been taught, and we want to know and better understand the teachings of Jesus in so many different aspects of our lives. Well, we mentioned last week that our plan is to begin by exploring the writings of Luke. So this will be something of a study of Luke Acts, not an exceedingly deep study, uh, but hopefully we'll address some useful matters of what we might want to call biblical interpretation as we go along our way. Last week, in introducing the Gospel of Luke as the, the first of two volumes, we read the opening words from Volume 2, the Book of Acts. And we did that because there Luke speaks of his first volume, that which we know as the Gospel of Luke. And I think it would make sense to ask the question, what is the message of the Gospel of Luke? And why did he write what he wrote? And we really need look no further than the opening words from his first volume. So let's listen to Luke writing his prologue. 
Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Well, that was one that we uh, uh, that we prepared earlier, as they say. Um, Luke is the only one of the four gospel writers to include a prologue of this nature to his work. Um, there's something of a prologue in the Gospel of John, but it's not of this nature. It's not like this. It's more of a of an introduction to the book. And I suppose that's what this is, but it specifically addresses the why of writing. Um, and it's really rather revealing here, these opening words to the Gospel of Luke, as it offers something of a unique insight into his process as an author. But we should ask, what does it actually tell us? Well, Luke writes of the things that have been accomplished among us, and this is essentially the subject of the account, actual events which had been fulfilled through Jesus the Christ. You may remember that at the beginning of volume two, Luke wrote in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Uh, so this is what volume one is all about. It's about that which Jesus began to do and teach. And then he goes on to mention here in the, uh, the prologue of Luke's gospel, he goes on to mention those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, suggesting that Luke was not an eyewitness himself. Indeed, he may have been the only one of the four gospel writers who was not an eyewitness of the events of which he writes. And that phrase there, ministers of the word, would really better be translated as servants of the word, as a number of versions do. Those who served by making the word of God known to others. And it's an idea repeated in volume two, the book of Acts, chapter six, where Luke has in mind the twelve whom Jesus has chosen. So throughout these volumes, there is a strong emphasis on the power and vitality of the Word of God. It will always triumph over every opposition it encounters. Well, as it was um, Luke's intention to write uh, an orderly account, um, it might be worth bearing in mind he uses that same word in his second volume when explaining that 
Peter began and explained to them in order the events surrounding the conversion of a Roman centurion. And the word doesn't necessarily imply a chronological order, as it were, but that his work has been thoroughly researched and can be considered completely reliable, unlike that of some others. Well, on Saturday, just a couple of days ago, I took a train to London. Well, technically, it was the train that took me, of course, but I headed to London to give a tour of biblically-related exhibits housed in the British Museum. It's the sort of thing that I've done on numerous occasions in the past, and I'm thankful to say I did indeed have a most appreciative group. Well, on my way to the museum, I stopped at the British Library, um, just beside St Pancras Railway Station. So I stopped there because one of the group was wanting to see the Codex Sinaiticus, along with whatever else might happen to be on display. So the Codex Sinaiticus is, as you may or may not well know, it is the oldest known witness to the complete Greek text of the New Testament. It's written on vellum, which is a uh, sort of processed animal skin, um, and it was written in the middle of the 4th century, discovered in St. Catherine's Monastery on what is generally understood to be Mount Sinai, hence the name the Codex Sinaiticus. Well, alongside it was an even older manuscript written on papyrus sometime early in the 3rd century. It was just a fragment and was among many papyri discovered in Egypt at the end of the 19th century. Well, of particular interest is that this papyrus contains the beginning of a collection of sayings of Jesus known as the Gospel of Thomas in Greek. Now, you may, or then again, you may not have heard of the Gospel of Thomas. You won't find it in your Bible, and there are some jolly good reasons for that, though we've no time right now to explore those. But the complete document of the Gospel of Thomas comprises a collection of no fewer than a 114 sayings of Jesus, some of which are close to those found in the four canonical Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, though others are rather different or simply obscure. Now, the reason that I mention this is that Luke tells us that there were many who had undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. And he goes on to tell us that he had followed all things closely for some time past, so it seems rather likely 
as Luke wrote his orderly account, that he made use of a great deal of information, quite possibly some similar to this so-called Gospel of Thomas. And, of course, we should understand in all of this that the Spirit of God was most active in all of his endeavours, guiding him to write as God breathed through him. And so much more could be said as to the processes of the revelation and the writing of scriptures, but I'm afraid that we'll need to wait for another the time. For now, let's turn our attention to the human writer and initial recipient of these documents, which we know as the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. What do we know of Luke and his friend Theophilus? Well, as for Luke, or maybe we should call him Dr. Luke, he was a close companion of the Apostle Paul, by whom he is spoken of as being the beloved physician. You'll read that towards the end of his letter to the believers in Colossae, uh, there among his letters in the New Testament. Uh, One version has our dear friend Luke the Doctor, another Luke the Beloved Doctor. And there are some who have suggested that there is perhaps some more specialised medical language found within these volumes, uh, volumes one and two of Luke, pointing to the writer being a a doctor. But um, this is not necessarily the case there. Are instances, however, where additional details are included, maybe the kind of details that would have been of interest to one from the medical field. We know that Luke accompanied Paul during some of his travels, but one question that really remains unanswered is whether he was a Jew or a Gentile. It's generally believed that Luke was a Gentile, although this is certainly not an absolute certainty. But again, this is not the time or place to debate this at any length, although if he was a Gentile, then he would be the only non-Jewish writer of New Testament scripture. Do with that as you wish. But what about this chap Theophilus? Well, as for Theophilus, we know nothing of this gentleman other than that he was most likely a Gentile believer, um, having been taught, Luke tells us. Some have suggested that he may not have actually been an actual person. His name literally means lover of God, Theophilus, lover of God, 
But I think that this is unlikely that he wasn't a real person. Some suggest that he may have possibly been Luke's benefactor, and I think that's much more likely. As such, he might have helped Luke in some financial capacity, perhaps. Well, Luke writes to Theophilus. He says... In order that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And this is the reason for Luke writing to him, both in the first and also the second volume, the Gospel of Luke and also the Book of Acts. Well, Beyond this introduction from Luke that we find there at the very beginning of the Gospel, it might be worthwhile um, considering a number of significant themes which permeate the Gospel and which must surely have been central to this purpose of his writing, um, in order that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. We could say a great deal about the idea of looking out for themes within biblical books. It's the same as we might look out for themes in any work of literature, whether they be ancient or modern. Um, a, a thematic approach can be extremely helpful in understanding um, some of what the writer is really wanting to get across. But then again, we might only come to appreciate what are the themes after reading the books once or twice or what have you. Um, so having done that, and um, having spent a fair amount of time in Luke Acts, let me suggest what I see as being um, a number of the significant themes that permeate not only the gospel, but also the second volume, the book of Acts. One of those significant themes is the arrival of salvation as a fulfilment of the promises of God. Uh, and that is a um, that really is a very significant theme that we find woven throughout these two books, the arrival of salvation. There is a, a sense of expectancy um, that Luke brings out very well early on in the first volume, and an expectancy that continues all the way through to the very end of the the second volume. So we'll be looking out for that as we kind of work our way through the texts. Another significant theme permeating the gospel and certainly the book of Acts is what we might call the universality of the gospel. 
Um, and that Luke is very concerned that we should understand the message of the good news of Jesus to be for one and all. And so there's something of an emphasis of the inclusion of the marginalised. Uh, and uh, though we see this, of course, in other gospel accounts too, Luke certainly seems to um, to specialise in this, introducing us to sometimes characters that appear one minute, they've gone the next, but uh, they're all part of the big picture, the story that he is telling. Another significant theme would be the hints in the gospel of a new community of believers, which of course is developed much further in volume two. More of that as we work our way through. And then perhaps along with that and the idea of the universality of the gospel, another significant theme is the inclusion of Gentiles, the inclusion of those beyond the uh, the world of Judaism. Very, very important. Evident early on in Luke, certainly um, developed much more fully in the second volume. Bach, in his work, well, one of his works on Luke, he says that the gospel explains, he's speaking specifically of the gospel of Luke, the gospel explains what a vibrant disciple looks like and how a believer lives in the larger, often hostile world. We see how Jesus lived in the midst of a world that does not understand God. And if that doesn't make these books relevant, well, I don't know what will. Next week, not that we've finished for this evening quite yet, but next week, Lord willing, we'll get into more of the text proper, the main part of the narrative, and we'll be thinking about the exploits of Zechariah, the priest, at the temple in Jerusalem. And it really does begin with a great deal of excitement. Ah, but that's the sound of the mission bell, meaning that it's our mission segment of the programme and time to consider what implications for mission there might be in the passage we've been looking at this evening. And remember, when we think of mission, we want always to be thinking first of the mission of God, and then to consider our place within that. As we've probably said before, it's not the people of God who have a mission, it's the mission of God that has a people. And, um, yep, you've heard me say that before, perhaps, and you'll hear me say that again, I'm sure. I think that's a terribly important principle. Well, another theme that has a distinct 
missional ring to it, not that the others that we've already mentioned do not, but another theme that has a distinct missional ring to it is that of the plan of God. It's a terribly significant theme that permeates both volume one and volume two of Luke. From the very start of the main narrative, it is very clear that everything is happening according to God's direction, according to his purpose. And I want to encourage us to be looking out for this as we make our way through the book. Look out, if you will, for um, an emerging pattern of promise and fulfillment. Look out for phrases like, it is necessary, and the word must, as in, for example, um, that um, fairly well-known response of the young boy, Jesus, when he says to his parents, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? A little subtle, perhaps, but it's there over and over again as we work our way through these two volumes. The idea that God is in control. At times it seems as if he's almost micromanaging things. The idea that God is in control is central to these volumes. But more than that, the idea is of God being in control and at the same time inviting us to take part in his mission for creation. And so as Luke steers the story from Jerusalem to Rome, it is clearly and consistently the story of God. It's the story which began even before Eden, and one which continues with our participation today. But all the way through, it's the story of God, of the mission of God, rescuing mankind and bringing salvation to a lost and dying world. We said something last week about understanding the Gospels as having been written in order to lead us to faith, to bring us into life, as opposed to simply containing information about the doings and sayings of Jesus. Well, as Luke writes his Gospel, he's writing as one who has encountered Jesus by faith and as one whose life had been radically transformed by his teachings. He knew the love of God, and as he writes of the one who came from God to give us life, he's doing so in order that we also, so many years, centuries later, might enter with him into that life. The very existence of these volumes bears witness to the mission of God. Not only is the message itself profoundly missional, but the means by which the message has been written and made known to us today is itself a crucial part of the outworking of the mission of God. 
Scripture was always revealed in the context of relationships, and here it's revealed within the context of Luke's um, uh, relationship with Theophilus. One lover of God concerned for another lover of God, and now that we also might enter into that same partnership with him. Well, as we come to the end of this week's edition of In Context, why don't you let us know your thoughts? Yes, you can find us on Facebook, on truthfm.uk. You can tweet us at uh, at uh, truthfm.uk or email us. Well, you can email us once we get an email address sorted. Uh, but I'd like to hear from you. Drop me a line. Feel free to ask any questions, to make any comments you might have, and then maybe we can read some out in the, uh, the weeks that might lie ahead. But um, until then, um, let me uh, wish you God's blessings as we uh, partner together with him in the, uh, uh, in the great mission that is the mission of God. And um, yes, let me wish you God's blessings, that we might be a blessing to those around us. And let me thank you for being with us this evening. Music.